Faith Matters podcast from Clearview Church, where we explore everyday faith in a complex world. Our goal is to strengthen and equip followers of Jesus just like you through practical and theological discussions and resources about important matters of faith in our complicated and complex world. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and Spotify and follow Clearview Church on Instagram and Facebook. And now, here is our latest episode of the Faith Matters Podcast. Well, welcome, friends, back to the Faith Matters Podcast. We are delighted to uh, welcome you to the new year. And uh, it's good for us to start this new year as we explore the whole area of mental illness and mental health. The statistics are that at least one in five people is going to experience some mental health challenge at some point in their lives, which means your friends, your workplaces, your church communities, your life group here at church, there are going to be some people experiencing some mental health challenge of some sort. And so at the church, we need to be thinking about how do we respond uh, to this? How do we uh, walk alongside those who are living with mental health challenges? At Clearview Church, we are um, convinced that in following Jesus, we bring our whole life to him. It involves heart and mind, body and soul, and it includes the broken parts of our lives, which means that we as a church aim to ensure that mental health is talked about. Um, it's talked about openly. It's talked about with care. And it undergirding that is the conviction that people who live with mental illness, they are made in and they bear the image of God. They fully belong to Christ's family, the church, and that they're not people, they're not problems to be fixed, but they're people to be loved. And uh, with that introduction, it is a delight to welcome today Daniel Whitehead. Friends, you might know uh, the connection because last year we ran the Sanctuary Mental Health course in our church. And Daniel is the Chief Executive Officer of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And so, Daniel, welcome to the Faith Matters podcast. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, it's so good. And I cherish you and uh, your leadership, but also just our growing friendship. So good to have you Ooh. here. I oh. wonder if you could begin just telling us some of your story. Give us a sense of who you are and uh, what brings you to the work that you're doing with Sanctuary Mental Health. Yeah, that's a great question and also kind of a mysterious one because I, I ask myself that question quite often. What, what brought me to this point? Um, so I was a, a senior pastor of a church in the UK for close to eight years and um after about six years uh, i realized i wasn't doing okay but mm. I, I really didn't know what to do with that or how to speak about that how to think about that that it, um there was a sense in which i'm like well this is just how it is and you know i, I can't i can't abandon these people i can't you know so there, there it was a really tricky place of feeling trapped and uh the long story short is through um, some wonderful and amazing circumstances, I was able to step away from that role and, and move to Vancouver, Canada to do a year's study at Regent College, uh, Grad School of Theology. So I came for a year and, and that was uh, nearly 
10 years ago. So um, uh, we became Canadians a couple of years ago. And along the way, this kind of burnt out pastor who didn't know it stumbled across this small nonprofit in Vancouver called Sanctuary. And uh, my sense was that Sanctuary was ahead of the curve in this uh, conversation. And uh, if we could take the work that this small nonprofit in Vancouver that had just worked in person doing workshops in churches in Vancouver, if we could take that and find a way to help churches everywhere have this conversation, we might be part of creating a movement. And so um, by God's grace, things have dramatically grown uh, which is all very exciting and wonderful, but it's also uh, means you, you, you've got to keep with the beat and things keep moving and growing and opportunities keep coming. So it's a, a really fascinating journey for me. Um, but I, when I think about how I came to this role, I, honestly, I just think I was someone who said yes. When God asked, I said yes. It was, that's it. I, I don't know what else I have to bring to the, to the table. What, what led you to, to say yes to this? Yeah, I mean, there, <laughs> there are very practical um, answers to that, which is, you know, I was a, I was a student with no income <laughs> trying to survive in Vancouver with a three-year-old and a two-month-old and, and my wife. And, and so we moved to Canada with, you know, uh, with very little reserves. Um, yeah. And a lot of people sort of said to us, uh, you realize you're moving to the most expensive city in North America, one of them, you know, cost of living versus income. So we, we moved in when everyone was moving out, but there was this sense of, well, we feel this is where God would have us live. This is, you know, there was a sense of saying yes to that. And then this small nonprofit emerged and I applied and miraculously and remarkably, the board asked me to, to take on the role, um, and they'd been a year without a director and they'd, they'd had a number of 26 applicants, I think. Um, but for whatever reason, they said yes to this guy. I'd have to ask them why they said yes. But um, so there's a practical need of I needed a job. I needed a purpose and a vocation. But there was also just this sense for me and my wife, Annie. I think we were just like, this is the path. Yeah. This is the path. This is what's come to us. This is the opportunity. And for me, as someone who is too stupid to be told it can't be done um and there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference yes um i i think i just came in with a with a big yes and and uh i had one colleague when i joined uh well i had two but then it changed to one one colleague and i remember with that one colleague who still works for sanctuary i said to her um you know, I, I want to create an international movement. I want to create an organization that's helping churches all over the world have conversations that they don't know how to have about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember her face was like, well, that sounds great. Can we, can we make sure we get paid next month as well? So it was, um, it's, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. What God will do with a yes. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if you could reflect with us and talk about uh, the current moment we're in and what are the mental health realities and challenges that you're seeing, uh, not only in the church, but just in the current moment in our world? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the statistic you mentioned at the beginning, the one in five statistic, I, I think that that um, data is pretty old now. And, and okay. but I would I would imagine that number is much, much higher based on my anecdotal experience um i i am seeing i mean yes there is this wider 
cultural moment where mental health is um, is good that it's being talked about more. My fear is the way that culture often works is, you know, it, it can become a fad or it can become a yeah. Um, yeah. a thing that's just, a, oh, do you remember, like, do you remember in the 90s when AIDS was a thing? People And, and they say, no, no, it's still a thing. This is still affecting people in parts yeah. of the world. It's just not popular right now to talk about it. And, and so mental health is becoming popular, which is good, but the, mm -hmm. the, the downside, I think, is that it, it can become a bit of a, almost a cliche in our culture and, and, and misunderstood and, and kind of reduced to, well, that's something doctors deal with. And, and of course, the, the point is we actually need trained mental health professionals helping people. We absolutely need that. That's important. But, but that's not, the buck doesn't just stop there because it, it, it can't. There's not enough capacity in any healthcare system in the world to manage the levels, nor should it just be a mental health uh, should it just be a medical uh, issue i mean it, it it is a medical issue but it's also a it's, it's a biological a psychological a social and a spiritual issue so i think um what i'm seeing in culture is uh way more need than than our current systems can accommodate and combining with that i think i see a culture not to say that culture has ever been perfect sometimes we look with rose tinted spectacles at the past um, there have always been challenges, but I think one of the challenges our culture is facing is um, disconnectedness and disconnectedness from self and each other. Um, our friends are now people that are on this piece of software on our phones, which we're all addicted to. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm like, this is not this is not friendship. You know, <laughs> this is not giving a thumbs up to something does not mean you're friends with people. So I think I think these things are also contributing and not helping us to to be well yeah 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 and i agree with you on the statistics i mean if i just look around um people that i regularly interact with or families i you know you can say almost 75 percent of uh, a population is 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 wrestling with some form of mental health challenge and i i think i've heard some people say well does that mean everything is a mental health challenge and i but I think it just demonstrates how pervasive this is post-COVID in a digital age. Um, yeah, and how we're not doing well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, that, that piece around, um, you know, is everything a mental health challenge? I think that's where we actually need some education to, to understand that mental health is something that affects every, of course it affects everyone because everyone has mental health. So the question is not to silo those who are suffering away from those that are not because you you're ever you're only ever a a moment away from being in crisis yourself i, I mean i've never met someone who planned to have a mental health crisis or yeah. planned to have a diagnosis of a mental illness so it does involve everyone and i think culturally we need to find ways to shape the subject in a way that is communal and it's just a natural part of how we understand ourselves right Talk about, um, you mentioned that how mental health is not only, you know, a um, physiological thing we need, but there's layers to this. Talk about the spiritual dimension of the, the mm. mental uh, illness, mental health challenges we face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my own take on on this um, would be that, you know, a human, a, a human being is, is always 
biological, always psychological, always social, always spiritual. We are always all of those things all of the time. And all of those things interconnect with each other because that's how God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. So, you know, when you're when you're having a spiritual experience, whatever that might be like for you, there are physiological things happening in your body. That's, you know, um, I can think of sunsets I've seen. I can think of moments when I've been in large groups of people, whether it be a sporting event or a concert. But these moments that kind of feel almost out of body. Uh, yes. When my wife gave birth to our two children, these are moments where you feel that, that you know, these are thin spaces. These are, these are places where you can almost feel the presence of God or feel something bigger than yourself. And, and, and that means you get goosebumps or you get, you know, things are happening in your body. So I think... Whatever we mean by spirituality in, in mental health, we have to understand that it is it is part of human experience. So in that sense, we have to attend to it. We have to think, what are the implications for us as people of faith? When we think about the reality of mental health, what is our response? Like, what, how, do, how do we as people of faith bring our faith to bear on this? And, and I can give you all kinds of simple, I mean, there are many many uh, ways of responding to that but i think quite simply the role of spiritual friendship to to offer spiritual care to someone in the midst of crisis is a profoundly helpful thing in someone's recovery and 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 the way we offer spiritual friendship you know if you if you a well-meaning person will sometimes say things that are really not helpful but they might be meant well. But if you literally don't know what to say to someone in crisis, if you say, you know, well, you know, where, where God shuts a door, he opens a window or whatever, yeah. it's like for someone in pain, although that's meant well, that actually isn't helpful for people sometimes. All they need is compassionate care, presence, response, um, and, and making their experience feel a part of who the church is. Like your experience is you are in the body of Christ with your languishing and we will make space for that and we'll accommodate that because God is still present and mm -hmm. and we're going to hold that space for you even if you can't realize that for yourself yes yeah holding that for others is when they can't do it is that feels like such a critical and uh powerful thing to do um I often tell people as they, as they struggle you know when when they face hopelessness I sometimes mm. have to tell them, I'll hold hope for you while you can't. And when you're ready, yeah. you can come pick it up, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, one day, and one day they may be doing the same for you. Yes. You know, that's the... you know, I think that's such, a, what you, that's a, such an important insight that it's, it's too easy to, when we think of mental health and mental illness, to say, oh, it's them or it's, you know, sort yeah. of identified causes as opposed to recognize all of us. Um, mm. that, that's a really important thing. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. No, I think so. How 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 do you see the church? And obviously, you're you're leading out in a specific ministry regarding mental health. How is the church handling the challenges of mental health? I think um, you know. I what I see from a number of churches are a number of churches doing the best they can, um, and and that's wonderful. Like I said, there's a lot of well-intended. Uh, effort going into this and 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 much of it is good what i often see though are um even in churches that seem to be doing well in offering mental health support sometimes there can be this unknown 
people do it without meaning to, but they can almost become biomedical in their approach. They mm. they really it's like trying to do what mental health professionals do, but putting Christian before it. So we're yeah. we're now Christian therapists. I got nothing against Christian therapists or therapists who are Christians. So that's great uh, as long as they're trained. Brilliant, but. Um, I don't think the answer for the church is to just replicate models that exist in society. I think it's to complement models that exist. I think the far greater need right now, I mean, we do need mental health professionals, sure. We probably need more than we've got. But the one thing the church can do right now is not to try and replicate that or create a Christian version of it, but is to complement that by offering companionship, mm. to be present to someone on their journey of recovery and to understand that a person's healing healing is a journey uh, and to not to confuse healing and curing um, and I think conflating healing with curing is something that the kind of churches I grew up in just naturally does you, there's no there's no differentiation and yet if you relook at scripture even in the the miracles of Jesus, um, you know, which I believe happened. I believe Jesus healed people miraculously, cured people in that moment. Um, the physical curing led to a bigger work of healing, which might be in the case of someone who was ceremonially unclean, like many people who had, you know, the, the woman with the issue of blood, the man uh, with the with the withered arm, you know, all kinds of people were unable to engage in community life because of their biological biological situation so their their spiritual lives are being affected and their social lives are being affected by their physical lives so jesus takes the physical issue away and then those people are able to engage in the religious system they're able to be heard and listened to they're able to be touched by others all of these basic human needs that we have so um i think that's the thing i'd be wanting to say to churches is for all of the energy and desire to support this and there is a lot we need to remember what our role is and what our role is not. And we need to remember what to say and what not to say. So I see uh, I see good signs of life, but I, I, I still feel like the kind of conversation that Sanctuary is trying to help the church have through the Sanctuary course is, is a vital one so that you can work out what your role is and what your role isn't. Yeah. yeah some of those healings of Jesus were about removing the barrier that cause the person not to be able to participate in the wider community and yeah. so in a sense there was a restoration to community then which as you said you know this this other broader healing of the person could happen in that context yeah which when when you think about the role of the church like one of the barriers we can all remove is the barrier of stigma yes so if you can destigmatize mental health normalize the conversation say hey this is something to be honest, this is something all of us experience at some point in our lives, if we're living life authentically, because, you know, there's a lot going on in life for people, uh, or, or at worst, we'll definitely know someone close to us. So if we can remove the barrier of stigma, that's one thing we can do to help people find healing, which always happens in relationship. Yep. So, you know, if you can be with someone and journey with them on their process of healing, um, in culture, we use the term recovery as a person recovers their recovery journey, which is nonlinear, which has ups and downs. But if you can be present to someone in that, then you can truly see someone heal. Yeah. Um, and that's something I want to see. That's, you know, that's uh, something that would encourage all of us. How 
How does a church in, engage that reality of the stigma around mental health? And, and let me also add in, how does a, a church that's multicultural in nature, which pretty much every church in Canada is these days. So our yeah. church, for instance, we have people from Asian contexts, from African contexts, from just, it, it's, it's just a, a, a culturally diverse place, increasingly so. And I imagine that mental health is engaged in different ways in from different cultural contexts. So how, how does a church address that, talk about that? Yeah, well, yeah, and I guess one, I mean, it's so complex. I love the complexity, though. Um, it's so complex when you think about diverse cultural experiences, which would, would mean that a person, like I would say in the West, and I'm generalizing for the sake of the analogy, but yeah. in the West, many of us plant our feet firmly in the biomedical view of a person. Mm -hmm. And we do it without even knowing it. We're culturally shaped, to, which means that when we look at mental health, we see it primarily as a biomedical issue that needs to be fixed, in quotation marks, that doesn't show on a podcast, but needs to be fixed before a person can really be a part of the community. And, and no one, I don't think, would say that. But implicitly, that's what a biomedical perspective breeds. It's one, one example. Now, you may meet someone from another culture, maybe from the global south, who primarily, and I know I'm generalizing, but primarily might place their feet in the spiritual aspect of personhood. Mm -hmm. Because there are certain cultures, as someone who has studied this in my second master's, it was a, my, my focus was uh, majority world theologies and what they have to teach us about mental health and community. And the answer is a lot. But many of those cultures would place their feet in the spiritual uh, as that is the primary way of understanding a person. And, and that can mean, therefore, that the answer to all the, the, the mental health problems someone faces could be, well, we just need to be more spiritual or we need to pray more or read the Bible more. Now, of course, seeing a mental health professional and praying and reading the Bible are both good things. Yes. Then neither one is bad. But if you if you silo the subject, then it, it can become something unhelpful. So I think the beauty of a diverse congregation is to give voice to different perspectives and to mm -hmm. listen deeply to them. Like, what is it that you have to bring to this conversation from your cultural perspective? Because we want to learn. And, and uh, you know, one of the things we must resist is, is I mean, is it's ironic, I'm a white Englishman saying this, but we, we have to resist the temptation to colonialism where, you know, we want to only listen to a voice. And, and I think one of the things the sanctuary course really tries to do is to open up space for people to speak from their perspective and that we as a community in turn listen deeply to people's stories. Yeah. Um, I think if we can learn to do that, we don't only help people in their mental health. I think we help them in lots of other ways to, to be a better reflection of the body of Christ, which is diverse and by nature, because God loves wondrous diversity. Yes, yes, he does. Beautifully so. Um, Daniel, we're going to be running the sanctuary course again uh, in the future, in the near future. And I wonder if you might... You know, tell someone who could be listening today but never been on the sanctuary course, what is it and who is it for and uh, what they might expect? Yeah, you know, um, very often people do the sanctuary course because they're going for their uncle or their friend, which is, which is a great reason to go, to really know how to support someone. The reality is what you'll quickly realize, spoiler alert, is that this is not about your loved one. This is about you. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's also about your loved one. So the course is designed for everyone. You don't, 
need to be aware of a mental health challenge to get something from the course. It's designed for the whole body of Christ to help the body of Christ have a conversation so that we all know where we stand on the subject. Where do we place our feet in this as people of faith? So uh, the course really looks at mental health from a, a clinical perspective, a theological perspective, and always placing the voice of lived experience centrally. So the course helps people to listen deeply to a person's story. We, we share people's stories through film. We have a discussion guide. We have art reflections, prayers, but we, we kind of guide a conversation that gives people in the room to really think deeply about mental health, what it means to them, why it's important to them, um, and to come away with a shared sense um, of, you know, in this community, in this small group, I am safe to explore this subject. And, and we believe the church should be the safest place. It should be a sanctuary for people's mental health experiences, whether they're easy or difficult. All should feel safe to do that. So the course really facilitates that. Starting Wednesday, February 7, Clearview Church is hosting the Mental Health Course. We want to invite you to attend this eight-week course and join others who desire to see the church as a sanctuary for those who struggle with their mental health, a place to feel safe, supported, and have a sense of belonging. The course offers participants the opportunity to redefine their understanding of mental health, to learn about various experiences of mental illness, consider the impact of stigma, explore the process of recovery, discover the importance of companionship, reflect on the experience of caregiving, and examine self-care practices. Each session is accompanied by a compelling film that features the story of a Canadian with lived experience of a mental health challenge, along with the insights of church leaders, theologians, and mental health professionals. Mental health continues to be on the rise in Canada, especially among teens. So whether you or someone you know struggles with mental health, or whether you desire to grow your awareness of this prevalent topic, we invite you to register today and join the Mental Health Course. You can find the registration link on our website, www.clearviewchurch.com, or on the Church Centre app, or in our weekly e-news. Please note that there is no cost associated with attending. Register today. The course starts February 7. Beautiful. And it has been just a beautiful gift. You've redone the whole sanctuary course, right? We've watched the first iteration, the first edition, but you've produced a whole new uh, edition of it. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting. When we when we made the first version of the course, um, we did it on an absolute shoestring budget. Um, so once we'd created it, I said to my, I think I had two colleagues, or maybe three at the time when we finished it, I said, you know we're going to have to make it again now. Like, not not now, but it will, we will have to create a new version, um, which is probably unkind of me to say that within the first month of releasing it. But but we did. We listened to feedback. We did a lot of in-depth 
um, research, we studied the impact it was having on communities, we got feedback from people who used it, we got feedback from mental health professionals, theologians, pastors, we got lots and lots of feedback and we've created a second version which we launched, I mean now we launched it uh, you know, two years ago, but um, nevertheless, uh, yeah, it's it's it has a greater production values which as shallow as that can seem it makes the experience easier for people like the whole experience is just more slick i don't like saying slick but it, it still has depth it still has substance but it makes the experience easier more diversity in the voices uh, racially socioeconomically culturally more diverse voices which was important to us so um yeah we're, we're really proud of it and it's you know the sanctuary course has been used in in over 85 countries of the world and over a quarter of a million people have been through it so um you know something is happening with yes. this uh with this resource yeah that's the thing like it, it is not just a canada or a north american thing that you're seeing this this is uh you're having uh global uh connections through this which is remarkable this is a transcultural reality the uh, mental illness mental health challenges we face yes yeah and that's been i mean it's not entirely surprising to me because knowing you know i lived in the uk from all my life i've traveled i lived in south africa for a time i've got family in australia would go visit i've worked in other cultures on various sort of humanitarian projects but um yeah this is a global reality and um so the the way the sanctuary course has been taken up in different cultures is it's incredible and so exciting when we get feedback from someone in Liechtenstein or uh, all the Catholic parishes in Moldova will be running the sanctuary course for Catholics in the next year. It's things like that, as well as the various other places. You, you, you know, you see, or we see that the scope and scale of sanctuary's work is, is truly global. So mm. that's exciting and also scary because we're still relatively small, but, um, but God, God can work through small things. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I see behind you, uh, for those who aren't able to see it, Daniel has some beautiful artwork behind him. Um, can you talk about the arts? Now, a sanctuary, as part of their ministry, uh, commissioned uh, a worship album uh, called Sanctuary Songs with Porter's Gate. And I got to tell yeah. you, Daniel, I listened to some of those songs, and I'm just reduced to, to weeping at, oh. at, first of all, the truth, but the beauty of it, too. Talk about why... Oh you incorporated arts like what relationship does that have to mental health yeah well you know it's really interesting um a number of years ago when we i think it was our third or fourth hire but we as a team we were having this conversation and um a number of our team inevitably in their own mental health journeys have found the power of art or the arts in really helping put uh, words to or thoughts to things that they were unable to articulate themselves and mm. And so at the early stage, I said, well, wouldn't it be great if Sanctuary had a, a direction of really thinking, you know, when, we, when we're big enough, when we have capacity, wouldn't it be great if we were commissioning beautiful art into the world that was helping people to think differently about mental health and faith? So um, the first project we commissioned was actually this, this piece of artwork behind me um, mm. was, was one of the pieces from that. Uh, project. So we, we commissioned 10 visual artists from around the world, different cultural backgrounds to create artwork that spoke to the, or speaks to the intersection of race, faith and mental health. Um, 
and that was really in the midst of all of the um, racial division a few, from a few years back when suddenly with the George Floyd murder and yeah. um, the whole um, Asian hate movement in the context of the pandemic, which, you know, in Vancouver, I have friends who had never experienced racism in their lives being regularly having abuse hurled at them in the street. I mean, it was just just remarkable and horrifying what was happening. So we as a little organization thought, well, what can we do? So we said, let's let's press into the arts like we said we want to. So we did this um, exhibition and it's out there and, and that still exists on our website and that artwork is actually used in the sanctuary course now as discussion points. And then, uh, and then I got a call um, about a year and a half later from Isaac Wardell, who heads up the Porter's Gate, and he said, "Look, we're a we're a worship movement that creates music um, about subjects that the church often doesn't sing about, and mental health keeps coming up. Would you partner with us?" So that began a journey which went from an idea, just an idea, to create worship music that both individuals can listen to to find solace and hope and healing. Uh, and congregations can pick up and sing. Some of the songs are very congregational. Um, so that idea to, we, we premiered that album live at the Royal Albert Hall in London at the Alpha Leadership Conference. So from a concept to five and a half thousand people singing these songs and seeing the response of people in the course of a year, it was just one of those other remarkable things, journeys that Sanctuary's been on. And, and, and like you, I mean, I, I listen to that album all the time yeah. and I'm regularly reduced to tears as I think about the, the beauty of what's been put into the world to help people who need, need some hope. Yeah. It gives voice um, to yeah, the broken parts of our lives, but in, in the context of God, not, not again, not fixing it, not saying you will end up victorious, but just naming it. Uh, in the context of the tenderness of God's grace. What, I mean, there's so many of those songs on the album that I love. I, I was thinking of the song Sing Over Me. And yeah. there's this verse, when all the grief pours through my hands and I can't feel anything but shame. Mm. I'm sort of choked up just reading mm. those words. When yeah. I've forgotten who I am, sing out and give me back my name. I mean, it's profound and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And then that song goes on in the later verse. The one that the line that always gets me is the line that says, someday I'll sing for you. Yes. I swear. It's like you, you need to sing over me today. Yes. But I swear I'll, one day I'll sing over you. When all the grief pours through my hands, when I I know for, for people experiencing uh, mental health challenges, corporate worship can sometimes be a challenging place for them to actually show up in and be part of. Um, how, 
How does, you know, uh, something like sanctuary songs, but perhaps other uh, elements, how, how do we worship well and wisely uh, given the context of mental health? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I really think the church is largely under-sourced or under-resourced. Um, you know, if we think about the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, you know, 40% of those Psalms are lament. Yeah. They are people saying, God, where are you? Why have you done this? This is terrible, terrible people. You know, it's it's really, and, and, and some of those laments are very dark. Mm. Like, they're the bits of the Bible that we're almost a little embarrassed about in the church. You know, it's like, smash my enemy's baby's heads off the rocks, yeah. God. I mean, it's like, oh, is that really in the infallible word of God? Yes, it is. And I think the point is, it's there. It's those sorts of raw, like one of the most terrible things you can imagine of wishing on someone else right. is included. So God's like, you can bring all of your struggle, all of your raw, difficult, all of that horrible, whatever it is, all of the toxicity, you can bring it to me in prayer. You can bring it to me in worship. You can bring it to me. I'm not scared of it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a key message that people need to hear. And the church can be the the prophetic voice to that message is you know, the church is one place that is not scared of the, the pain. We're not scared of the struggle. We are a group, a community of strugglers who want to struggle with you. And, uh, and so I think if we can find worship music or, 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 or worship experiences that reflect this 40% of lament, if we can, address that and i see sanctuary songs as maybe one of the early movers into that but you know no, having met a number of worship leaders in the last couple of years and some of them being very prominent um i know from them and i probably shouldn't name them but i, I know from them that many of them have written big hits that are sung all over the world but the things they want to sing about now are not those big mountaintop experiences the things they want to sing about are the valleys and the yeah. depths yeah. but that's not what Christian music industry wants because we don't sell a lot of those songs. So I, I think it's probably going to look more like a movement among local church teams, local worship teams, thinking creatively about how do we give voice to lament? How do we give voice to the valleys and the depths? Um, which I think would be great. And, and again, Sanctuary wants to be part of helping that. So there's mm -hmm. all kinds of initiatives we're continuing with um, artists, with musicians, we want to continue investing into those things because we want to help people create beautiful things that help people engage in the subject. Yeah. And there's there's something even just about the the power of beauty itself in the arts that, hmm. that heals at a level that uh, perhaps um, our doctors can't access um, or get to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and lament, voicing a lament. I can read a psalm, but I can engage it very differently in song yeah yeah and it makes it makes me think of uh i'm gonna misquote who it was and you'll know better than me because um you're smarter than me but um the the whole the whole beatific vision this idea that one day we will we will be face to face with beauty itself and that that to experience that beauty kind of lifts us lifts us out of ourselves in in one sense and i think again art has the power to do that to just connect us to something bigger to connect us to emotions we were kind of stifled or unable to feel so yes i think beauty for beauty's sake has a has a profound role to play in people's recovery um 
You're a good friend of Sanctuary and lovely theologian John Swinton. He writes, every Christian congregation should have a minimum standard, an expectation to be a good place, a real place where real people can share life as it is and struggle with God together rather than alone. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about that minimum standard? Again, I think you've named some of what that looks like, and how does a church cultivate that and grow that further? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I um, I think about a, a, a place where authenticity can happen. You know, um, Brene Brown, who I, I don't know if she needs introducing, but I always think of her as the queen of the TED Talk, but... <laughs> Brene Brown is a an expert in vulnerability. So she she you know she talks about the power of vulnerability, um, and vulnerability is good for me, and it's good for the community, and it's good for you. The challenge is, and I've learned this in my own experience in the church, which I, I don't like admitting, but it's true, is that some people will weaponize your vulnerability against you. So, oh, did you hear about him? He said he's got this problem or he's got the, it, it's, you know, and, and then it, it, when that happens in the context of someone being vulnerable, um, it shuts down the chance for everyone else to be vulnerable. Yes. Everyone gets the message like, okay, it's not safe for me to talk yeah. about this here. Uh, and it, so it's, com it's complicated. It's really complicated because there are some times there are subjects that are really difficult. And we're like, oh, I, I'm not sure I want to bring this into the open. Um, but I think if we as, a, as the church can model vulnerability um, and help people to safely find ways where they can really... Uh, yeah, really open up and live into their authentic selves and bring their authentic selves into the light of the community without feeling the need that they have to fix everything before they can. Um, so, you know, to be vulnerable, I'll give you an example. For me, I, I used to lead a church. Uh, I live with an autoimmune disease. Uh, mm -hmm. I live with type 1 diabetes. I don't make a big deal about it, but I got it when I was 10. There is a, there is a part of me that feels shame about that. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever admitted that to anyone, but it, but it's true. There's part of me that feels like, oh, it must be something I did. I know for my mum, she feels a great deal of responsibility, and yet this is an autoimmune disease. No one really knows why it happens. Why? So, you know, it's, it's naturally inbuilt in us, it, it seems, or for many of us, um, that shame comes very easily. Yeah. Uh, and it almost comes naturally. So what would it look like for the church to be a place where we are counteracting shame? Mm -hmm. And and part of the reason I felt shame in, in leading a, a kind of non-denominational charismatic church was the stories of healing were one of the main things people would talk about. And I, I have had people pray for me, pray for healing, when I would fess up to the fact that I needed biological healing. Um, I've had people pray for me in some of the most disrespectful, dishonoring ways. Mm. Like I, I remember one time being prayed for and I was a senior pastor of the church and someone said, oh, we're going to we're going to put a crown on you because God, you know, God, you're like God's prince, God's son. And, and that's that's a wonderful image. But they couldn't find a crown. So they just put a hanky on the head and then they started laughing because it looked ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I could kind of take it. But you're like, what does that do to so like I can take it. But what would that do to someone who? You know, is is just so dishonouring of the person, and so I I think you know a church that can really think deeply about honouring a person even when they're in the midst. You know, how do we humanise someone 
who was unable to humanize themselves? How do we treat people with dignity? How do we do that? And I, th I think those are really important questions for us to ask as a church. Yeah, absolutely. And how do we, yeah, even for praying for people, how, how can we pray for uh, that ultimate healing that we seek and yet recognize that it may be very partial? Um, and how can we pray for the strength to deal with the ongoing reality of it. It, it. We can hold both of those things together, I think. But some often just feel like, no, 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 that's that's not faithful, right? You just got to pray for full healing and, and yeah. seek the Lord for that. But I, we better figure out how to do both of these. Yes, and there and, and it's, it's complicated because one of the things that happens in our culture is when you, when you critique something, very often you're pushed to the other end of the spectrum. And I, I'm not... I'm not trying to position myself politically. I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I, I really am ecumenical. I really do believe in the wider body of Christ and that, you know, we're all going to get used to each other because we're going to spend eternity with each other. But, but there are some traditions that have a hard time of living in the tension. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, Jesus says, keep your prayers short. You know, I think I think there's something in that. You know, I I think to you know to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, to pray for peace for a person, to pray for a person's healing journey, whatever that looks like. Um, because you know, I I remember being in a church years and years ago, and the the person was going on about healing again. I've got nothing against healing, but he was he would always talk about healing, and he said, you know, the thing people need to understand is that. Um, just this is if you've if you've got a physical issue that's not god's best for you and he picked up his bible to read the scriptures and he said oh where are my glasses and then and he put his glasses on and i thought the <laughs> irony the irony of what you've just done yes is you without meaning to is you've just made a whole load of people feel shame and judged for not being healed and yet you yourself require bits of um lenses in front of your eyes to read that i mean I am grateful for glasses. <laughs> I am grateful that, that you get to read because of them. But, um, you know, that, so there is that, that sense of just being cautious about how we talk about these things and how we pray about these things. Mm. But I think keeping our prayers short, being sincere, praying for God's will to be done, not assuming what God's will is because we live in the in-between. We live in the, 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 the not, the realized, but the not yet. We, you know, that is... Uh, you know, I, there have been lots of analogies over the years, but I, I always think of soccer because I love soccer. But, uh, you know, if, if if England are about to win the World Cup and they they score the winning penalty in the last second and then the, the game pauses, but is heading for that top corner and the keeper's diving the other way. You, you, well, we, we've won. Yeah. I, I can't celebrate yet, but, um, but we will. So I think we live in that space. And yes. so um, we have to be careful how we frame this time of in between. Yes. Yeah. Daniel, do you have any final thoughts or words for our church here, Clearview Church, uh, as we face the, uh, the good ministry of walking with people who have mental illness? Mm. I, I mean, I would only want to encourage you and, and champion you for your willingness to, to talk about it, to press into it. It, is, it, it can feel complicated and overwhelming, but um, I really believe it can actually also be quite simple. That the the role of spiritual friendship to walk with people is so critical in a person's healing journey, and um, to be to be a good friend to someone, 
you can change the world through friendship. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I truly believe that with every part of my being. Friendship ends wars, it ends disputes. It, um, so uh, learning to be a good friend to people in crisis, if you can do that, I think you'll, you'll change the world. That is beautiful. That's hopeful, that's accessible too, right? Every one of yeah. us can do that. Daniel, thank you uh, so much for the privilege of joining us here. And thank you for the leadership you're giving through Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. It is, I think, a profound expression of God's kingdom as it advances. And I'm so grateful for you, for your fantastic staff. And we wish you all God's best and blessings. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. I really appreciate it. joining us at the Faith Matters Podcast, where we are exploring everyday faith in a complex world. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and if you get a chance, leave us a review there. The Faith Matters Podcast is a ministry of Clearview Church, and we are here to help everyone take their next step in following Jesus. And so if we can serve you in any way, jump on our website at www.clearviewchurch.com. My name's Elaine Vinlar. I'm the Director of Discipleship at Clearview Church. And until next time, see you then.